Take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 25. Anybody alive in here this morning? All right. Say glory. Hallelujah. That's what the choir was saying. All right. So if I, if I run over something you like today, that's what I want you to give me is glory. Hallelujah. All right. So let's practice. All right. You help me out. You, you shout. We get out quicker. Hey, we're in Acts. We're, we're studying through the book of Acts uh, during these months. Grateful to God for what he's doing over to Warrington campus. People being baptized there week by week and uh, again today. And grateful to God for all that God's doing all across that portion of our city and uh, with our military personnel and others. And so uh, to the Warrington campus, God love you this morning. Thank you uh, for being here with us. And we're in Acts 25. And we're... we're with Paul, as I said, begin chapter 23, all the way to the end. Now, he's just in jail, in the courtroom, in jail, in the courtroom. He's got a different king, a different person, but they're all wanting to talk to him, and they're trying to bring him uh, to judgment. So last week, we dealt with Felix, that gutless. He's... Amen. I'll take a misplaced glory. Hallelujah. That's all right. Just help me. That's good. Thank you, sister. We, we, we found Felix. He, he is that slimy sycophant and just can't make a choice. And so they discard him and Marshall Dillon puts Festus in charge in chapter 25. We've got a new ruler. And we pick up the text in Acts 25, beginning in verse number 1, and read the first 19 verses and share a message I've entitled, The Bible Doctrine of First Importance. Listen because this now is the word of our great God, Acts 25. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. And after he had spent uh, not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought after Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I, I've done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. 
If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. I've got that underlined in my Bible. Paul said, whatever to the child, I'm, I'm not afraid of death. But if none of these things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. Now when several days it elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, uh, not of such crimes as I was expecting. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. The problem was Paul's assertion that the man they had crucified was alive. It is the doctrine of first importance. John Maysfield years ago wrote a drama entitled The Trial of Jesus. And in that drama, he places Pilate and Pilate's wife in the conversation. And Pilate's wife asks a centurion soldier, were you there when he died? And he said, yes. And then she followed up and said, do you think he is now dead? And the centurion replied, no, lady, I don't. Pilate's wife responded, then, where is he? And the centurion said these words through the pen of John Maysfield. He has let loose in the world, lady, where no man can stop his truth. <laughs> that is the gospel. That is the gospel of first importance where Paul said, this dead man, Jesus, is alive. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, this same Paul, who is the second most prolific author in the New Testament, only Luke wrote more verses, Paul, writing 25% of the New Testament, 
He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of what? First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Of first importance, death, burial, resurrection. Have you ever looked through your Bible to, I had Really, this hadn't grabbed me till this week. Of how many times the word on the third day is used. You know, there's a music group called Third Day. If Twitter had been tweeting in this moment, their hashtag would have been on the third day. <laughs> That's what you'd have seen on their phone. This is our Lord, hashtag, on the third day. You hear it again in the Scripture over and over and over and over. On the third day, he got up. On the third day, he rose. On the third day, on the third day. On the third day, the world changed. In AD 30, on a Sunday morning, he got up, and the world was forever changed. I want us to look at resurrection today. This phrase that Paul used, or here that uh, the king said about him, he accused him of saying that this dead man Jesus is alive. So I want us to talk about resurrection. You know, I, I read a, in a book this week, somebody said the church has its pure foundation on the resurrection and it probably preaches less about that doctrine and then it asks when's the last time you heard a whole sermon on resurrection and of course everybody says Easter but there's 51 other weeks we give it a glance and blow every now and then and I got under conviction this week I just hadn't preached enough on resurrection so you don't get a dose of it this morning another dose next week Resurrection. It is the doctrine of first importance. I'm going to show you three things about resurrection this morning out of the Word of God. Number one, resurrection power. Resurrection power. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, this same Paul who's speaking of this wrote that I may know him and the power, the power, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Power. Who went to the tomb first? Women. Do you know in the first century you couldn't even call a woman to court because the female voice was not trusted and seen as credible. And yet the whole basis of the resurrection started with what the world would have said were not credible witnesses but it lives forever. That's resurrection power. He took the weakest voice he could find and set the world on fire with the gospel. That's resurrection power. You find a bunch of fishermen that are now on fire. Peter was a coward. 
He said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Two, two women, he said, I don't know him. I don't know. I, I was not there. And then resurrection power puts him on the pulpit at Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. I'm telling you, friend, that is resurrection power. And here Paul said in verse number 11, if I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. Mm. That's resurrection power. These people have been turned into roaring lions with the gospel. They were stoned. They were fed to wild beasts. They were tortured. Let me tell you, friend, they wouldn't give their life to a lie. Only the truth would cause these men and women to lay down their lives to die if need be. They wouldn't do that if they had the body of Jesus. The disciples couldn't steal him. And the Romans wouldn't do it. All they had to do was bring in the corpse and Christianity was over. They couldn't find him. He wasn't there. He was risen from the dead. That's a good place right there. Yes. He is risen. The tomb is empty. His grace is sufficient. Resurrection power is sufficient to save you and supply your need. If you sit in this room this morning and you don't know that heaven will be your home and your sins have never been forgiven, let me tell you the one that died and the one that got up could save you this very day if you would but call on his name. You say, preacher, you don't know how far I am, how deep I am in sin. You understand this is resurrection power. He'll take you from your death and give you eternal life. Oh, resurrection power. You know, this resurrection. Secondly, I want to show you some resurrection pictures. Did you know the church is filled with resurrection pictures? After the resurrection, the people of God no longer were a synagogue, they were a church. They, they were no longer a synagogue coming and offering sacrifices. They were now the ecclesia. They were those called out of sin and under light. Secondly, resurrection took us from the Sabbath to Sunday worship. Why do we not? I mean, it says it in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Why, why don't we have church on Saturday? They do right down the road here at Seventh-day Adventist. Why don't we meet yesterday? Because he got up. We meet on Sunday because he got up. You can have church any day of the week, but the primary function of the church has been since the first century to come to church when he got up. It's the picture. We, we turn thirdly, the resurrection turned us from circumcision to baptism. For the Old Testament, synagogue worshiping Sabbath day people, physical circumcision was the mark of the covenant. No longer. Now the mark of the covenant is baptism. 
You, you are placed underwater. He died. And they bring you out. Why? Why do we bring them out of the water? Twofold. Number one, so they don't drown. Very practical application. But secondly, you, you come up because it's picturesque that Jesus rose from the dead. I, do do y'all really think he got up? You're, you're listening like he's still in the, in, the, in the ground. If I'm here to tell you this ought to set our hair on fire. He got up. He's risen from the dead. Nobody else in the world. Where's Buddha? In the ground. Where's Muhammad? In the ground. Where's Churchill? In the ground. Where's Roosevelt? In the ground. Where's Jesus? He's on the throne. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. What a Savior. From the synagogue to the church, from the Sabbath to Sunday, from circumcision. And then the church moved from an emphasis on Passover to the Lord's Supper. We don't celebrate the Passover in the New Testament church. I mean, you can, and, and, and it's okay. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong, but the emphasis moved with the resurrection to the Lord's table when you bring it there. And, and you, I had a middle schooler ask me this week, said, Pastor, why don't we do the Lord's Supper more often? I said, well, the Bible says as often as you do it. You do it once a year, once a month, once a day. There's no biblical command. And the middle schooler even asked me, said, well, is it because of finances? Does it cost too much? I said, no, it's got nothing to do with money. But as often as we do it, we do it to show that he died, and we do it until he comes again. You can't come again if you're dead. Corpses don't come back. Only the Christ returns. And the picture of the Lord's table is not only his death of his blood and the brokenness of his body, we do it until he comes again. I'm telling you, some Baptists going to be surprised because he's coming. I'm telling you, he's, he's coming. All oh, the resurrection pictures. I was arguing with a Catholic this week. They had a crucifix. I said, I don't like that. I said, why? I said, he's not on the cross. Y'all got him still nailed on. He's not, it was just, a, I said, understand, but he's not there. He is not on the cross. He is not in a tomb. He is on the throne. That's where Jesus belongs. That's where he resides. That's where he is. And that's the picture today of Jesus on the throne of all creation. Now somebody's in here wearing a crucifix and you're hiding it right now. Don't worry about that. I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you or... I'm just telling you, your symbol's wrong. That's the way you look at the cross. Empty. He didn't stay there long, but long enough that he died for you. 
Well, resurrection power, resurrection pictures. But thirdly, and in full disclosure, I have borrowed these from a dead preacher. I, I found these, and I wasn't even going to use it. But I said, Lord, it's too good not to use. So I have to push my stuff up and preach faster. Now, when I say resurrection possibilities, what I mean are things that the resurrection made possible. Spurgeon gave me five of them, and he had others. And so I borrowed them and then fixed them like I wanted them. Spurgeon's dead. He doesn't care. But his framework is in this, in full disclosure. What did resurrection make possible? Well, number one, it made possible for him to give us the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he went to glory. And if he did not go from us, he could not send the Spirit to us. But because he's gone from us, he then at Pentecost gave the Spirit to us. The possibility of Holy Ghost fullness comes through the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, it makes possible for him to claim heaven for his redeemed. He has gone before us to occupy our inheritance. He's there now. He occupies, and one day you'll die, and you'll either go to hell or go to heaven. You go to hell if you trust yourself. But he is there, occupying heaven. It's sure and secure. And the resurrection makes possible for him to claim heaven. For thirdly, it makes possible for him to prepare a place for our coming. Now listen to me. And, and always, every time I talk about this, I get in trouble and people get mad. And, but you see, heaven in its final shape is not yet. If you die today, you're going to the presence of Jesus. That's heaven enough. But the Bible says he's gone to prepare a place for us. We'll go into the abode of the dead of saved. Not the abode of, he's one day going to empty that and turn people into hell. And after judgment, there's going to be a celestial city. And he's preparing that. I cannot fathom in my head how that he created everything of this world in six days and he's still been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Wow, it must be so. Thank you. What a place that's going to be. Somebody asked me, said, Preacher, you think you'll be preaching there? Is everybody in the choir? I said, well, yeah, they'll be preaching there. The singers are going to preach and the preachers are going to sing. Dr. Criswell used to say, God give him his own planet. He could preach as long as he wanted to. 
There'd be no time out for lunch. You just preach all day, all night if you want to. I don't know what all heaven's going to be like. Revelation 20, 21, 22 tells us a whole lot. Remember when we preached through that a while back and we, we got to that gate? You remember that gate? And now I give all of our ladies out of the Karis house that amethyst. Do you remember? One of the foundation stones of heaven is an amethyst. It means not drunk. If you struggle with alcohol here, I got good news. If you get saved, you go to heaven, you'll never be drunk again. Amen. It's one of the foundation stones. The, the possibility of heaven comes from the resurrection. Number four, number four, the fourth possibility is, is after his resurrection, the possibility is to intercede for us. Jesus is praying for us right now. Glory to God, we do not believe in a dumb, dead Christ, but one on the throne who is making intercession for us this very moment. Friend, the only way that I can lose my salvation is for you to break into heaven, get to the throne, get Jesus to stop praying for me, and if you ever break in, you don't want him to stop praying, you're going to want to stay a while. If he stops praying for me, I can lose my salvation. But I'll not lose my salvation because he's faithful to intercede for me. He sits there even now praying, praying, praying for us, interceding for us. It's the intercession of King Jesus. And number five, the possibility that resurrection brought is is for Jesus to commune with us. He'll talk to you. It's not a corpse we view. It's the Christ and we sit at his feet. And he speaks and he leads and he convicts and he comforts. I was on the way to preaching today and I was coming down the hall after greeting people and a lady stopped me and said, Pastor, can I speak to you? I said, certainly. We stopped in the hall and she told me about last Sunday. She said, I was in church. And she said, I came with a real burden for one of her family members. And she said, the longer you preach, the more God began to speak to us that the burden was not for the family. It was me. And she said, you gave the invitation. I came to the altar and, and I unloaded the burden. Said, I got home, made the phone call, and, and God had already taken care of, of the family member. Said, it wasn't them, it was me. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need. Let me tell you, friend, if you'll open your heart and eyes and ears and spirit, he will commune with you. He anoints us. He, he speaks to us. He comforts us. He loves us. And the reason that's possible because he's not dead. If I was up on the mountain in North Alabama, I'd have said he ain't dead. 
But since I moved to town, he's not dead. W. Sankster was born in the year 1900. God made him a preacher in London, England in 1936. Sankster was a Methodist. He was in the same town with Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they preached during the Nazi invasion of London. Sankster said there were many Sundays when the bombs would start falling even on Sunday morning as Hitler tried to eradicate the world of London, knowing if he could break the neck of London, he could take the world. Sankster said we had turned the basement into a bomb shelter. He says in his biography that during those days, he kept a red light on the pulpit. And when the bombs started going off, Somebody would mash a button and the red light would come on while he's preaching. He said, I called them siren sermons. Can you imagine if you're sitting in church in Pensacola and bombs start falling and the preacher doesn't stop and he gives the invitation? Lord have mercy. Might have more saved than ever in the history of the church. <laughs> Sankster said that red light go off, and he said, I'd just preach and share Jesus, and then we'd go downstairs to the bomb shelter. Sankster became a leader in the Methodist movement in Europe after over 30 years at. Westminster Church in London. He contracted muscular dystrophy. On his right side, he'd drag his leg, and then he lost his voice. A preacher that can't talk, that's a hard day. In 1960, in his biography, he writes that in 1960, I got up on Easter morning. He did not know that just in a few weeks, he would be dead. And his daughter got a note from daddy. And this is what the preacher wrote to his daughter. He was 60 years old. He said, it is a sad day when a preacher rises on Easter and he cannot shout, he is risen. However, he went on, it is sadder still if one can shout, he is risen and will not do it.
Friend, if you have a voice, you need to let the world know. He's risen. He is risen indeed. And that's not just a sermon for Easter morning when everybody comes to church. That's the message every Sunday morning when people come to church because he got up. He got up. My Lord, you talk about a game changer. He got up. This happened to me while I pastored out in Texas. A lady came to my office. She said, my daddy has just died. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I would like you to go with me to his bedside and see if we can pray that God might raise him from the dead. Now, what you going to do with that? And I said, if I could, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him back from what he's seen for all the money in Texas. I said, he stepped into glory. And if I could raise him, like Jesus raised Lazarus, he'd just have to die again someday. I said, so I'm not going to that prayer meeting. But I'll pray for you that God might comfort you in the resurrected Christ that your father has seen would comfort you as you walk down the road. Say, preacher, you didn't have enough faith. No, I had enough Bible to know. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment, and after judgment, if you say, to be with King Jesus, because he's risen from the dead.